Okay, welcome back to HealthSpan. This is part two of Lifespan, Why We Age and Why We Don't Have To by Dr. David Sinclair. This is probably going to be my favorite podcast that I've recorded because it talks about all my favorite topics like fasting, caloric restriction, metformin, NAD, resveratrol, exercise, rapamycin, and hot and cold exposure. We're going to be discussing all those topics in this podcast. So we begin with the caloric restriction and fasting. So I'm going to read the sentence by Dr. David Sinclair. He states that after 25 years of researching aging and having read thousands of scientific papers, if there's one piece of advice I can offer, one surefire way to stay healthy longer, one one thing you can do to maximize your lifespan right now, it's this. Eat less. Eat less and you can extend your life. So we go into a bunch of stories about people who have restricted their calories and eventually lived a very long life. For example, there was this man named Cornero who was an entrepreneur and he made this huge fortune, lived a very lavish lifestyle with a lot of wine, a lot of money, a lot of a woman. And by his mid-30s, he was very exhausted by all this food, the drinking, the sex. So he just, And he was just sick of this gluttony. So he decided to live a life where he ate only 12 ounces of food a day and also drank two glasses of wine each day. So the historical record is a bit vague on the details of his sex life after that decision. But one thing we can tell you is that he's, he lived to 100 years old. So again, this was, a, this was a long time ago, back in 1566, and he lived an entire century. Now there was another story of this man named Professor Alexandre Guniet, who was the president of the Paris Medical Academy. And after the turn of the 12th century, he was famed for living on a restricted diet. This man ended up dying at the age of 102. Now then, there's three more men, Mendel, Osborne, and Ferry, who discovered vitamin A. And what they did in female rats was they saw that in these female rats whose growth was stunted due to a lack of food early in their life, they ended up living much longer than those who ate plenty. So here are three you know, huge stories showing that if we can restrict our calories, if we can fast, we can live a longer life. Now, I'm going to be talking about Okinawa right now. Okinawa is this blue zone where a bunch of centenarians live. Okinawa, Japan, and back in 1978, on the island of Okinawa, there was a researcher by the name of Kagawa who learned that the total number of calories consumed by schoolchildren in Okinawa was less than two-thirds of what children were getting in the mainland. And adult Okinawans were leaner, and they were also taking in about 20% fewer calories than their mainland. And what this guy, uh, Kagawa, noticed was that not only were their lifespans of Okinawa lo- Okinawans longer, but their health spans were, t- were longer as well. They had significantly less cerebral vascular diseases, malignancies, and heart disease. So I'm probably going to review Dan Buettner's Blue Zones, but for now you, you can know that Okinawa is this region in Japan, uh, this island in Japan, where there's just a bunch of centenarians walking around, and we can tell the difference between how much calories they took in versus the mainland. And because they're taking in fewer calories, they're significantly not only living longer, but also living healthier lives as well. So another study as well, since the 1980s, there was a long-term study of caloric restriction in 
rhesus monkeys, which are our close genetic cousins, and they produced similar results as well. So before the study, the maximum known lifespan of any rhesus monkey was 40 years old. But of the 12 monkeys in that study that lived on a CR diet, six reached that age, which is roughly equivalent to their, to, to their reaching 120 in human terms. So in other words, for the longest time, all these monkeys, the longest known living monkey was 40 years old. But after this study with caloric-restricted diets, six of them were able to reach that 40-year mark, 40-year threshold, which is again equivalent to 120 in human years. So again, uh, the research is conclusive that we restrict our calories, we live longer. Now, restricted diet um, can come in many ways, and we know that we can do a fasting mimicking diet, for example, where we don't have to exactly exclude all calories, but we can mimic our fasting by eating things like, uh, you know, a Walter Longo type of diet, primarily of vegetables and soup and just a few supplements for five days every month. And what they saw in this fasting mimicking diet was that it not only reduced their body fat, lowered their blood pressure, but it also lowered their IGF-1 uh, or insulin growth factor 1 levels as well. And we know there's this sort of inverse relationship between levels of IGF-1 and longevity. So normally insulin growth factor is, uh, it, it can be pro-cancerous and pro-growth. And we know that if we can lower our IGF-1 levels, we can end up living a longer life as well. And that's what we're seeing uh, happening with this fasting mimicking diet. Now there are other diets as well. Some popular ones are the 16-8 diet, where we end up fasting for 16 hours and eating for an 8-hour window. Uh, that's something Sasha and Panda endorses and something I endorse as well. Having some sort of, some sort of intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating going on every single day. And there's another diet as well where you eat 75% of calories for two, two days a week. This is known as the 5-2 diet. And there's also another diet called the Eat Stop Eat diet, which was kind of endorsed by Peter Atia, where you kind of go hungry for an entire week every quarter. So again, there's different types of fasts going on. Uh, this isn't a fasting podcast per se, but you can read more about fasting and the different types. And you can learn more about fasting if you listen to my circadian code podcast that I did earlier. Now let's talk about amino acids really quickly. So amino acids are the essential building blocks of protein. And we know that amino acids, um, they can't have a deleterious effect. And we know that also meat contains all essential amino acids. And there isn't much debate on the downsides of consumption of animal proteins. Because we know that for the longest time that heavily animal-based diets are definitely associated with higher cardiovascular mortality and cancer risk. So this is, not an, this is not an argument in point. You consume more animal proteins like meats, chickens, you have a higher cardiovascular mortality and cancer risk. And we know it's, this is possibly it's carcinogenic and we know that red meat contains carnitine which our gut bacteria actually converts to trimethylamine N-oxide or TMAO, which you might have heard of, which is a chemical that is possibly suspected in causing heart disease. Now, I'm not against meat. I eat it, you know, plenty of times throughout the week, 
And it, he even states here that this does not mean that a little meat will kill you. But if you're interested in living a long and healthy life, your diet probably needs to look a lot more like a rabbit's lunch than a lion's dinner. When we substitute animal proteins with more plant proteins, studies have shown all cows cause mortality falls significantly. And he has, he has a, a paper uh, defending that point. Now, this is... We were, t- we were talking about amino acids and proteins, and this is where we kind of discussed the topic of mTOR. So again, mTOR, the mammalian target of rapamycin, this is the nutrient-sensitive kinase signal that tells our cells to grow, grow, grow. And we know that different things can stimulate mTOR. For example, insulin, amino acids, there are uh, certain proteins as well, certain growth factors, all of these are stimulating mTOR. So if you want to keep mTOR from being activated too much or too often, limiting your intake of amino acids is a, good, is a good way to start. So what can you do again? Limit your intake of meat and dairy. Now, we know that all amino acids aren't created equal. We know that, for example, methionine is very detrimental to us. And we know that methionine works particularly well on, on, uh, on this mTOR pathway and... We know methionine restriction can cause obese mice to shed a lot of their fat and also do it fast as well. So methionine, a potent stimulator of mTOR. The branched-chain amino acids, leucine, isoleucine, and valine also activate mTOR as well. And we know particularly leucine, for instance, uh, it's known to boost muscle, which is why a lot of bodybuilders will often drink uh, these BCAs before or after their workout. But that muscle building is also coming in part because leucine is activating mTOR. So there's this trade-off between how much muscle you want to grow and how much mTOR activity uh, is going to be stimulated. So that's something to keep in mind if you consume BCAAs. So that is the amino acid section. And after the amino acid section, we begin our discussion on exercise. So exercise, I don't need to list through the benefits, but we know exercise can uh, increase our telomere length, it can activate NAD or improve our NAD levels, and we know it has a bunch of other beneficial effects like increasing uh, BDNF, it, it can um, improve insulin sensitivity, upregulate glute transporters, it does all these things. Now how much exercise is, how much, how much do we actually need? So he puts here that, quote, the good news is that we don't have to exercise for hours on end. One recent study found that those who ran four to five miles a week, for most people, that's an amount of exercise that can be done in less than 15 minutes per day, reduced their risk, their chance of death death from a heart attack by 40% and an all-cause mortality by 45%. So that is a massive effect by just doing exercise. And again, you don't have to pound yourself to to the ground. You just have to do something. So again, I went over the benefits already. We know it extends our telomeres. We know it can grow new microvessels. It can help de- that deliver oxygen to our cells. It can boost mitochondrial activity. It can stave off sarcopenia and osteoporosis. I mean, the the list goes on with with this with this uh, exercise benefits. So, this is nothing new. We know that you should be exercising, particularly resistance training. So I'm going to move forward and talk about cold exposure. So we also know that cold exposure is good for us. And one of the things that cold exposure does 
is help activate our brown fat. So there's certain regions in our body that are white fat, and there's a lot of re- there's a few regions in our body that are brown fat as well. So brown fat is uh, this metabolically active uh, organ where essentially it expresses this protein called UCP or uncoupling protein. And back in 2006, there was an experiment done at Scripps Research Institute where what they did was this, this research team, they inserted a copy of a mouse's UCP2 gene into a, a mice's hypothalamus, which regulates our skin, sweat glands, and also blood vessels. Now, it's called uncoupling protein because it uncouples oxidation and phosphorylation, which is essentially how we make energy. So if you think of the electron transport chain, the way we actually make energy is creating a gradient for these hydrogen to move through and essentially you act via ATP synthase, you get generation of ATP with creation of this gradient. Now what happens with uncoupling protein, it essentially short circuits this mitochondria in the hypothalamus. So they produce not energy, but heat. So instead of making energy or ATP, you're making heat instead. So he puts here that in turn caused the mice to cool down about half a degree once the UCP2 was inserted. The result was a 20% longer life for female mice, which is the equivalent of adding seven additional healthy human years, while mice, while male mice got an extension of 12%. So read more on cold shivering thermogenesis and uncoupling proteins. It's something that may be hinting at a ways to shed fat is via activation of uh, this UCP protein from our brown fat. So UCP2 makes mice run cold, the Canadian team demonstrated, but colder temperatures could change the way the genes operated too, through its ability to rev up brown adipose tissue or BAT. And we know rodent studies have provided significant insights into the correlation between brown fat and longevity. So this is something that is interesting. Um, Activation of UCP can actually help us live longer as well. So again, take your cold showers. Now, we kind of took this this, uh, approach a little bit too far by this compound uh, called DNP or 2,4-dinitrophenol, which is an uncoupler. So it acts similarly just like UCP does except way too way too well and in other words these people started losing weight extremely rapidly and they actually ended up dying so at first researchers were like okay we finally found a compound that is weight that that can make us lose weight and do it fast but people began to die from these overdoses of dnp and eventually it was taken off the market now we talked about what happens when you turn the temperature down Now, what happens when we move the temperature up? In other words, heat exposure. So what happens on the other side of the thermostat, he puts it. What he did was he moved the temperature from 30 degrees Celsius to 37 degrees Celsius in his his yeast. And what he saw was we got activation of this gene called PNC1. And that eventually helped boost their NAD production. And so their SIR2 protein can work that much better. So I go into NED a little bit later, but we know that if we can increase NED production, we can increase sirtuin production. And we know from the previous podcast that I did the importance of activating our sirtuins. 
And if you want to learn more about saunas and heat exposure, you can go listen to Rhonda Patrick or Ben Greenfield. They love talking about saunas and heat exposure. So jump into a sauna if you can. Now, a little bit later, we talk about this quote-unquote others. In other words, other things in this environment that may be affecting our epigenome. So I'm just going to go through a quick list. Um, Essentially, every day we're exposed to certain environmental toxins and things like cigarettes, PCBs, azo dyes, organohalates, and pesticides. These are all damaging to our DNA. And we know if we want to live a long, long time, we need to protect our DNA from all these UV lights, x-rays, gamma rays, all these environmental toxins. So be wary of whatever you come in contact with, whatever you put inside your body and put on top of your body. So that's just a short, quick summary of his don't rock the landscape passage. Now, this is all great. This is all something we can do, but we can also get additional help. So that's when we move into chapter five, which is a better pill to swallow. And here we talk about some of my favorite topics, resveratrol, um, metformin, NAD, some of the other things you can do to help make us live longer. So we begin with rapamycin. So rapamycin is the drug that inhibits mTOR. And this passage is so cool because it talks about the history of how rapamycin got discovered. So Rapa Nui is this island 2,300 miles west of Chile. And we know that this is where rapamycin was discovered. Um, There's this man named Suran Segal who went to this Easter Island and he discovered this organism called Streptomyces hygroscopicus. And it became clear that this molecule was actually very effective at first as an antifungal compound. So again, Segal, he named the compound rapamycin after the island where it was discovered. And it was discovered as an antifungal compound. And then after some decades passed, we saw that this rapamycin drug was also an effective suppressor of our immune system. And almost even till this day, we're using rapamycin as a, as, a, as a drug to help with kidney transplants and other transplants to suppress our immune system so we don't get rejection. So it's still used in that way. And we also know that it's also one of the most consistent, successful compounds for extending our life. So, quote, if you put 2,000 normal yeast cells into a culture, a few will will remain viable after six weeks. But what if you feed those mice rapamycin? In six weeks, about half will still be healthy. So this drug will also increase the number of daughter cells mothers can produce by stimulating the production of NAD. So at first, rapamycin began as an antifungal, then it moved as an immune suppressor, and now we're seeing its benefits in longevity. And we can all thank mTOR and rapamycin, all this discovery, to not only Segal, who discovered it in, in the island of, uh, you know, in the island of uh, Rapa Nui, but also we can thank David Sabatini as well. So David Sabatini is a colleague of David Sinclair. And he is this researcher in MIT who identified mTOR. So we can thank him for discovering the mammalian target of rapamycin. And we know that rapamycin inhibits mTOR, which has been proven to make us live longer. So 
there's been a lot of research still done on these things called rapalogs, which are analogs of rapamycin. So they also act on the TOR pathway, but some of these rapalogs have more specificity and also less toxicity, which is good because we're still not completely comfortable in giving rapamycin to people as a longevity treatment. I mean, some biohackers are taking it as a as a way to live longer, but we're still not sure of the toxicity. And uh, until we find more rapalogs that have less side effects, we're going to have to wait a little longer to start taking this drug. Now, pennies for prolonged vitality. So we move into my favorite drug, metformin. And in the 1950s, there was this man, two, two pharmacists, uh, Jan Aaron and also a physician, Jean Stern. And they decided to investigate this French lilac derivative, which was essentially used to help fight type 2 diabetes. And in 1957, Stern published a paper demonstrating that the effectiveness of this dimethyl biguanide to help treat type 2 diabetes. Again, we're talking about metformin. Now, most people take metformin for their their diabetes, but we know that it potentiates our longevity and people taking metformin were living notably healthier lives independent of its of its effect on its diabetes so so you're asking why why place a diabetic drug in the conversation about prolonged vitality well essentially aside from its effects on diabetes people taking metformin seem to live longer so again this is independent of its effect on its diabetes and he puts it here either way the amount either way that amounts to the equivalent of five extra healthy years of for humans so in mice even a low dose of metformin has been shown by a researcher at the NIH to increase lifespan by nearly 6% so essentially metformin again is extending our lives and again it's it's activating Amp kinase. So amp kinase is kind of like this antagonist to mTOR. You can kind of think of it that way. And the result is, when we take metformin, the result is activation of AMP kinase. And it also activates sirtuins as well. So among the other benefits from of metformin are inhibition of cancer cell metabolism, increased mitochondrial activity, and it also helps mis- remove misfolded proteins. So if you remember one of the hallmarks of aging one of the things is the accumulation of these misfolded proteins well rap i mean metformin actually helps remove these misfolded proteins it also keeps our mitochondria strong and it prevents cancers from from metabolizing so i'm going to read here a study of more than 41,000 metformin users between the ages of 68 and 81 concluded that metformin reduced the likelihood of dementia cardiovascular disease, cancer, frailty, and depression. And this is not by small amounts. So all these all these cancers, all these diseases that are affecting the elderly, metformin is pre- preventing it. So we know that metformin, again, is, is a beautiful drug, my favorite drug. And the cool thing about metformin too is that it's impacting a lot of diseases, not just one. So remember the problem with the problem that David Sinclair had in my lab, in my last podcast, we're we're finding so many 
different research labs that are focusing on one issue, cancer, diabetes, uh, different, you know, stroke. There's different issues that are killing us. The beauty of metformin is that it impacts many diseases. Through the activation of AMP, AMP kinase, or AMP kinase, it makes more NAD and turns on sirtuins and other defenses as well that help protect against aging as a whole, engaging the survival circuit, as he puts it. We, we slow down the loss of epigenetic information, keep metabolism in check, and make sure that all our organs stay young and healthier. Okay, so I, I, I hope I convinced you that metformin is a miracle drug and the closest thing we have to the fountain of youth. And the great thing about it is it's very cheap as well. Now we're going to be talking about sirtuin activating compounds or stacks. So we finished up rapamycin. I talked about metformin. Now we're going to be talking about sirtuin activating compounds. Now, the first sirtuin activating compound or stack was this polyphenol called physetin. And there was a second one called butene, which are two compounds that had significant effect on sirtuins. But we kind of realized that it wasn't really having this huge, like in terms of research lab, in the research lab, it wasn't having these huge benefits. Now, this man named Robert Zipkin, who was a chemist and also entrepreneur, he kind of bridged this gap and saw that these two molecules that I just described, physetin and butene, they looked a lot like this other structure from resveratrol. So resveratrol is one of the most potent stimulators of sirtuins, and this guy Zipkin saw that this molecule looked a lot like these other two structures. And he saw something extremely incredible, and so did David Sinclair when, when these, this resveratrol was given to these yeast. So he puts it here that, I saw something incredible. The resveratrol-fed yeast were slightly smaller and grew slightly more slowly than untreated yeast, getting to an average of 34 divisions before dying, as though they were calorically restricted. The human equivalent would be an extra 50 years of life. Now again, 34 divisions. Normally, in most cases, a yeast cell gets to about 25 divisions before it dies. This yeast was dividing 34 times on resveratrol, which again is the equivalent of extra 50 years in human life. So we're seeing this potent stimulation of sirtuins by resveratrol. And where can we get this resveratrol? Bottles of wine. So Howitz and David Sinclair were fascinated by the fact that resveratrol is produced in great quantities by grapes. So again, grapes and also these grapes that have experienced stress. So it's important to eat food that has been under stress because of this phenomenon called xenohormesis. So if you listen to my earlier podcast, you remember me talking about hormesis where the idea was what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And we believe that there's evidence of xenohormesis where the stressed plants that we eat actually produce chemicals for themselves that tell them to hunker down and survive. And these are actually beneficial to us. So eat stressed plants, eat stressed grapes. This is all causing xenohormesis in our body and kind of giving us the benefits as well. So drink your wine, start your resveratrol as well. That's another way to improve your longevity. And that's, this is kind of what David Sinclair was known for. He states back in 2006, he published this paper that went mainstream. And then all of a sudden he begins to 
get approached by people and gets to, gets to get known as this Sirtu and Resvera troll guy. So that's when he kind of started getting famous back in 2006. So we know that resveratrol can be a sirtuin activating compound. Now another sirtuin activating compound is NAD. So NAD boosts the activity of all sirtuin enzymes. So NAD is this molecule that is a product of niacin, which is vitamin B3. And we know NAD can be used for over 500 different enzymes. And without NAD, we'd be dead in 30 seconds. That's how important NAD is. Now NAD is, you can think of it as a fuel, as a fuel source. It's a it is cofactor needed for sirtuins to work. No NAD production, no sirtuin activation. And we discovered a gene, he discovered a gene called PNC1 again, which turns vitamin B3 into NAD. So what he did was he took this gene PNC1, the one that converts B3 to NAD, and he inserted it into mice. And again, these mice were living a lot longer. And there's also, you may have heard NMN and NR. There are these different versions of, of NAD. So NMN is a compound made from our cells and found in foods like avocados, broccoli, and cabbage. And in our body, nicotinamide riboside or NR gets converted to NMN, which then gets converted to NAD. So that's a little bit confusing. I'm going to say it again. NR goes to NMN, which eventually goes to NAD. And if you're asking which one is best for you as a supplement, he states here that he we find that NMN to be more stable than NR and see some health benefits in, in mouse experiments that aren't seen when NR is used. So if you're on Amazon and you're looking for a, a sirtuin activating compound, go with the NMN. And... I wanted to share again a, a cool story. So this is a mini uh, story time. So one day David Sinclair was in his lab and he entered his lab and one of his students, he approached David and he said to David, I need, I need to tell you something and it's something about my mother. So David Sinclair kind of got a little bit worried because he knew that his mother had been sick and David Sinclair said, okay, whatever you need. So this guy, his one of his uh, students, he said, uh, well, the thing is, he whispered in a low voice, she started her um, cycle again. So yes, her menstrual cycle. This The student's mom was actually menstruating again after she had started NMN. Now again, this is an anecdotal story. story. I'm not saying that your menopausal mom, your menopausal mom will start menstruating again, uh, but he states that they just it looks like a normal period, and the doctors couldn't explain it. So, NMN essentially reversed the the student's mom's fertility, uh, in, in all case in point. So I thought that was an interesting story that he shared. And again, to kind of close off this part two. Um, I'm going to be talking about David Sinclair and also his relationship with his father. So David Sinclair's father was this computer guy who didn't really take care of himself, sat in front of the TV a lot. He, he kind of like lived this very sedentary lifestyle, was type 2 diabetic, lost his hearing, eyes were going, 
and he would tire fast. So he would also he would also be kind of grumpy and repeat himself, and he looked like he was aging and kind of on his last leg. And David Sinclair told his father, "Hey, I think you should start taking this NMN." So he started taking it, and literally in no time, this is what David Sinclair said: he was feeling less tired, less sore, more mentally aware, doesn't have any aches or pains. He's beating much younger people at rowing exercises at the gym. His doctors were struck, were, were struck by the fact that his liver enzymes normalized after 20 years of being abnormal. And most importantly, for the first time since his mother's death, the smile had returned to his face. So, again, another anecdotal story of, of his father taking NMN and completely reversing aging. Or as it seemed, he was... He got rid of all these signs of aging just by taking this NMN. Now, he was taking the metformin and NMN, and we don't really know exactly. We can't really have a causal relationship, but he states that there was nothing else that really changed other than him taking this NMN, so you can kind of take that with a grain of salt, but understand that David Sinclair's father is, is you know, he was 67 when this was happening, and now he feels like he's, you know, in, in his 40s or even younger. And he puts it here. Uh, as I looked at my dad standing with my family, I thought this. This is what lo- longer life is all about. Having your parents there for life's important moments. So David Sinclair won some award and he wanted his dad to come see him give his speech and, and accept this award. And he says, this is what life is all about. This is what longer life is all about. Having your parents there for life's important moments. And also, while he stood there, he later, he later his dad later told him, this is what longer life is all about. Being around for your children's most important moments. So, this was a very sentimental um, story shared by David Sinclair. And I wanted to leave it there because this podcast is getting kind of long and... I'm going to do a part two continued next podcast. So I'm going to leave it here. I hope you learned something. I hope you can integrate some of the stuff I talked about, like restricting calories, taking your metformin, uh, taking resveratrol, all these compounds. Um, I hope you enjoy this podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave a review. I'll, I'll leave my Instagram handle in the DM in my in episode description. So you can send me a DM if you have any comments or if you want me to review another book or just anything, uh, you can send me a message. So I hope you tune in next time and this is the end of the podcast. Thanks for listening.